Welcome back. Our first question is, the DSM-5 declares that an infant under one, can, uh, one years of age cannot experience trauma and PTSD, but I've witnessed otherwise. There are some studies showing uh, trauma in young infants, and often it takes time, even decades, so forth and so on. Um, and she says, aren't the younger the more susceptible? And, and uh, you're confusing the impact that trauma and abuse can have on neurobiology and physiology. And actually, we can document that uh, even in utero, if a mother is highly stressed uh, because of some trauma going on in her, her uh, inflammatory cascades increase, and they cross the blood-brain barrier, altering the developing brain, and the child is born with an upregulated anxiety circuitry, and they're less capable of calming themselves. They have more risk of, of mood and mental health problems later in life. So yes, traumas can affect the developing child. But the problem is, under one of your age, they can't form memories. And, they, uh, and the memories that can be retained and processed and understood. And so until that can happen, while they may have physiological and epigenetic changes that affect their future mental health and well-being, they won't, they won't have intrusive nightmares and dreams and all the whole constellation of symptoms that go along with PTSD. So they're not going to be able to be diagnosed, but, but that's not the same thing as saying that trauma has no effect. So don't, don't confuse the two. Last week you mentioned obstructive sleep apnea uh, and brain pathologies. Uh, apparently there is rarely discussed correlation between sleep disorders, um, obstructive sleep apnea and ADHD, 50% in one study, 90% correlation in the other. Many patients uh, improve. Uh, that, that's exactly correct. Uh, if you read on my website and put an ADHD, I've got a couple blogs and I actually talk about this in there. Um, and, and because, so there's ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and then there are ADHD mimickers that have the same symptomology as ADHD, but they're not ADHD. One of those mimickers is our various sleep disorders, hypoxic sleep disorders. You're not going through the normal sleep cycles. And the first thing that happens when you're sleep-deprived is the prefrontal cortex doesn't work as well, and you get distractible, and you misplace things, and you're forgetful, and you're more moody, and you're impulsive, and all the same symptoms of ADHD, but it's not coming from the same pathology of ADHD. It's coming from sleep deprivation or sleep disorder. That is not ADHD. Some people, because we've identified people diagnosed with ADHD because they're symptomless, have turned out to have uh, obstructive sleep apnea will conclude, therefore, there's no such thing as ADHD. It's all sleep apnea. It's not true. You've got ADHD. You've got mimickers of ADHD, okay? And so, yes, if somebody has this diagnosis, it, it, it would, would not be unreasonable to have a sleep evaluation to see if ensure they actually don't have an underlying sleep disorder. Jill, just a quick question on that. Have you heard of a stressful birth causing ADHD in a baby or a child later on? So she says stressful birth. Yes. Uh, preemie babies have higher rates of ADHD than non-preemie babies. The brain finishes its final development in the last four weeks, and so preemie babies will not necessarily have the full myelination that you might get otherwise. Uh, uh, trauma bursts can cause anoxia or, or some hypoxia that happens at birth, can alter brain development. And so, yes, uh, birth-related and intrauterine events can increase. In fact, one study showed that women who were pregnant and had no birth-related traumas, but you know, they lived in an area where they had high pollution, uh, high airborne pollution, polyhydrocarbon, carbons, which is what we get from fossil fuels, and they had a high concentration they breathed in that the, the white matter in, the, in their fetal brains did not mature in the same rate, and those kids had higher rates of ADHD later in life. So yes, uh, fetal development and birth trauma can absolutely affect brain development. Yes. Uh, last week, you spoke of Ellen White saying drugs were poisons, but she was ta- uh, talking about the drugs for a day. What about chemotherapy, radiation, definitely poison uh, to our body, but can cure us? Uh, so, I, you know, th- there was not a really question there. Um, any, any substance can kill you. Some people die of water intoxication. 
No, it's true. It's called, called polydipsia. Polydipsia, they get a condition, they overdrink, 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 overdrink water, 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 to the point they, they dilute out the sodium in their body and they actually die from electrolyte imbalances from water intoxication. Okay? So just because a substance can kill you, it's how it's used. Is it used medicinally? A scalpel or a sharp knife can be used to kill or used to save. So, um, but the difference was in Ellen White's day, there was no, there, none of those strychnine, arsenic, mercury, there is no medicinal benefit in any place, whereas the chemotherapies and radiation knives can be used in very focused and precise ways to kill cancer or disease cells while not killing you, and that's the difference. We, uh, this is a quotation, and I double-checked this because I got this last night, uh, from the International Children's Bible, Colossians 2.14. This is Colossians 2.14 from the International Children's Bible. Let me cue up my, my uh, Bible program here uh, to other versions because we're going to look at the other versions. And we will look at some other versions, Colossians 2.14. Okay, so here's Colossians 2.14, and, and we'll read the question. Quote, we owed a debt because we broke God's laws. That debt listed all the rules we failed to follow. But God forgave us that debt. He took away that debt and nailed it to the cross, unquote. That's the International Children's Bible. And uh, this person then asked, Jesus paid our, uh, our debt we owed. Does that mean we are in debt to him? Does that mean he is the creditor? Because in commercial law, debtor, debtors cannot win and creditors cannot lose. This is the question. The, the problem is you're reading a very bad translation. And you're trying to make a biblical understanding from a bad translation based on a misunderstanding of how God's law functions. So other translations will actually render that. Um, This is out of the NIV. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and and that's the NIV. The good news um, would say he canceled the unfavorable record of our our debts um, with with its binding rules and did away with, with it, completely nailing it to the cross and so forth and so on. Uh, what I would like to share would be from the remedy, and how I paraphrase this from, from the remedy. I can get my computer up. And this is how I paraphrase it from the remedy. Well, I'm going to have to start in verse 13, because it kind of builds in that. So, so 1340, when your condition was terminal, when selfishness reigned unchecked in your minds, and when your hearts were tied to the destructive cravings and practices of the world, God intervened and brought you the life-giving remedy, Jesus Christ. He reclaimed you from your terminal condition, nullifying the pathology report that certified you as dead in sin. He made it clear that the written code with its regulations was only a diagnostic instrument designed to expose our terminal state and teach us the need for the true cure, and he nailed it to the cross. So if you look at it in imposed law, it's debts, rules, uh, uh, law-keeping, legal stuff. You Under design law, you understand that that code written against us was the diagnostic instrument to expose, and this is what the Bible describes as the law was given so that sin might abound. And, but sin abounds, grace abounds once more. So we say the MRI was given so that cancers inside the body could be revealed. So we have a lot more cancers identified now. But where the cancers are, are, are increasing, the, the anti-cancer treatments and remedies are increasing all the more. Okay, that's God's grace. And so that's really what this means. So I'm going to just say, 
that uh, your questions are based on a flawed translation. Dear Dr. Jennings, thank you for having this space to answer questions. Oh, you're welcome. Um, let's see. Uh, I am a fan of all your blogs and happenings last week and this week on the news regarding the um, artificial intelligence chat GTP release reminds me of your human blog, uh, to, uh, your blog Human 2.0 and concepts in your book that got you in heart. Uh, I was reading this week about uh, the AI and um, natural language programming and how these resources can effectively be used to program all humans. Is that possible? I haven't seen how they can program all humans. Um, I think it, yeah, I'd have to see more, more. I haven't seen anything about programming all humans uh, through this. Uh, I think that to the degree that humans allow cybernetic implants into their own brain for the purpose of having instant access to these resources, then yes, we become vulnerable to mental and other manipulations from these artificial sources. And I think that's going to be the next step where they begin. And they're going to, they're going to sell this as you're going to have access to, you know, instead of having to look on your phone, you'll be able to mentally access. In fact, I've got an interesting video uh, uh, boy, I should, should show you guys this video. Mm. Uh, I don't think I can do it because I'm not connected to the projectors here. But that, that actually depicts this type of thing where people get implants. And with these implants, they can, uh, with their mind, interface with all these different online networks and systems and open doors and communicate instantly and, and check maps of the city and, the, and, the, and all the uh, various cameras that are security cameras that you can uh, see. They, they can go in their mind and see all this stuff in their head all at once. And this is what, what uh, they're going to try to sell it as. And when they get it down to a price that you can walk into your Verizon and you can sit in, the, in your Verizon store, and you can sit in a machine where we'll have a robot uh, do a, 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 a 30 second procedure and pop in a microchip into your, uh, through your skull, into your brain. Uh, yeah, millions are going to line up for this. Millions and millions are going to line up for this. I'm going to advise you don't do it. <laughs> My second question is that uh, can we probably deduce by reading the Bible how the enemy had, has achieved complete mind control on the antediluvians because all of them were of the same thinking towards evil continuously? Have you, have you thought of scenarios of how the enemy could achieve mind control? Yeah, I, I think we are seeing this happen in the world. It's primarily through fear, and fear leads uh, toward a willingness to surrender to someone in authority who will give you a sense of safety and security. And over the course of time, as you practice those methods, um, the more you practice them, the less capable of thinking you become. We're seeing this happening on multiple levels in our society today. Uh, our school systems, uh, public school systems are broken, folks, broken. Uh, they are not teaching critical reasoning skills. They're teaching regurgitation of certain worldviews and philosophies. Uh, the, the, the goal, as I see from the, from the elites, is not to have a people who have the capacity for critical reasoning. The real goal is to have people who don't know how to think and can't tell right from wrong, left from right, up from down, and they look to some authority to tell them. And this is, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to, hope I don't offend anybody, I'm going to get off on a little issue here. But I'm going to get, use this as evidence of what's happening. To, the real assault happening in the world today on all of these, these agendas is really to destroy your critical reasoning ability and to control your mind. Yeah. And this is the primary, primary reason for the transgender movement. Yes. The transgender movement is primarily about destroying your mind. Understand, I'm going to show, show you what I mean. It is not about equal rights. It's not about compassion for people that have gender identity and confusion. It is not about any of that. 
Because the transgender movement, if you understand the transgender movement, their messaging is there's no male and female. It's just a construct. It's something that is socially made up. It's something that's just the way you think or feel about. And, and, and if you saw this past week on Wednesday, Jill Biden at the White House had a ceremony where they gave an International Woman's Day award to a biological male. Wow. Now, if you're a woman, yeah. the message is very clear. Anything a woman can do, a man can do better. <laughs> Seriously, this is the messaging. The messaging is that a man can make a better woman than a woman. Hershey's chocolate did the same thing. Yeah, Hershey's chocolate did the same thing. The NCAA nominated the biological male for NCAA Woman Athlete of the Year, um, and on and on and on it goes. And what's the, so the real issue here? I want you. I want you to understand. It really has nothing to do with these individuals, and it has nothing to do with actual gender. It has to do with destroying, destroying in society any objective measures that any regular person can use to determine what's what. If there's no male and female, which is one of the basic things that all human beings have been able to identify through all eternity, since life began, even animals can tell the difference between male and female animals. Okay? But if they can get you to believe, well, there's no male and female. Uh, it's just all fluid. and Anybody can choose. There's no such thing as that then there are no, zero objective standards whereby the populace, the citizens, can ever hold people in power accountable for their actions. Understand it. This is what the real agenda is. You can't question us because we've already said and, and our saying determines reality. There is no external, outside of our authority, reality to test us by. Therefore, we could never write to King George and say that we have certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can't do that because King George is in power, and he tells you you don't have that right, and you can't question him. This is the real goal of these things, to destroy critical reasoning, destroy ability to tell right and wrong for yourself, to hold people who are doing dysfunctional, destructive, even evil things accountable. And that's only one example. There are many others. The whole COVID thing, the whole mask wearing thing, come on, folks. The whole purpose of that was to destroy your critical reasoning. Amen. Amen. To make you compliant. To go along with something you knew wasn't going to work anyway. And the data is very, very clear on this. It had mask wearing. Had zero. Even N95 masks. Zero, zero, zero effect on stopping viral transmission. People are still wearing masks. And I, I, I've seen people this week wearing masks in their cars, driving alone in their own car. Okay? And that's in this culture, but I was in Japan for four months, and they, to this day, it is 95% of the population outside, on trains, in their cars. Wearing masks. And, and, the, reason, and the reason, see, different cultures, America is one of, remember, America was established as a land of liberty. It's in our ethos as a people, individuality. This indivi- the critical race theories, uh, critical sexual theories, all these critical theories. We have a magazine coming out next month. I give a little preview of it in my blog this week. But these critical theories are all designed to destroy your critical reasoning 
and teach you to think. But America came into existence as a land of liberty, and we value individual, individuality and individual freedoms and liberties. Critical race theory identifies individuality as whiteism. If you value individual decision-making, it also identifies scientific method, the ability to actually have external objective metrics that you can measure and get the same outcomes and results, like mathematics and other things, that's whiteism. And if you practice test, um, uh, hy- hy- uh, testing and, and uh, experimenting to get provable outcomes in the scientific method, you're practicing racism. This is why a lot of these liberal schools are doing away with uh, ACTs and SATs and any sense of performance, because that's whiteism. What percentage of the population believes that? I don't know what percentage of the population. I'm just telling you. I can tell you, it's about 98% of people who watch CNN believe that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. I don't know about that. I don't know about the 98%, but seriously, if you watch that stuff... And, and, and there's a law involved. It's not a rule. Yeah. By beholding, we become changed. If you ingest that stuff into your mind, you're going to be changed by that. And that's its goal. And the whole real goal behind all of this is to dethrone human reason. And this is what the, the same methodologies, irrational thought that doesn't make sense. Same methodologies, the Dark Ages Church. The Dark Ages Church taught God loves you, but if you don't love him he'll, back, he'll burn you in hell for all eternity. That's irrational. It doesn't make sense. So it dethrones human reason. And the only way to believe that is to say, well, we just take that on faith. We don't think about it. That's a, and that's what the critical race theory, that's what the gender movements, they're all doing these things. They're absolutely irrational. And the only way you can believe it is to stop thinking and just accept. Well, I, I believe that because the Pope said it, or the priest said it, or the bishop said it, or my parents said it, or my godly grandma said it. Somebody told me, and I believe it. And now, well, the president said it, the CDC said it, the FDA said it, the, the school board superintendent said it. Somebody said it. And this is how many people are being taught to think and believe by looking for an external authority to tell them the answer. We don't do that at Common Reason. Common Reason's whole ministry is about teaching people to develop their God-given critical reasoning skills so that every person can be fully persuaded in their own mind. Even if it's the right answer, like you're taking a math class and the teacher teaches you that two plus two is four, and if I were to say to you, hey, what's two plus two? And you said to me, well, my teacher said it's four. I would not really respect that answer. (laughs) Well, do you believe it's four? Can you show me why it's four? No, I just believe my teacher. My teacher said it's four. Well, this is Bible doctrines. This is Seventh-day Adventist Bible class. Why is it that Jesus had to die for our death? Well, he had to pay our penalty. How do you know that? Well, because my teacher said, or the Bible said, or the red leather book said, yeah, but can you show me why? Well, how does that work in reality? What are, the, what are the principles? What are the laws involved that make that so? Can't explain it. We're just told. We have 28 things. We have to know those 28. And they're not right. All right, I, I went off. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I think that's a good point because it really doesn't take that many people, just a, a small percentage mm-hmm. To where peer pressure takes an effect, and then everybody starts copying and feeling pressured to do what everybody else does. 
So if you guys haven't, I would encourage you to go back to our website. If you haven't watched it, on our homepage, just scroll down. You'll see a two-day summit, uh, COVID and the Manipulation of Your Mind. It's a lecture that I did in Michigan. It's about 50 minutes long. It goes through a stepwise process of how the government can manipulate your mind and get you to believe something you would not otherwise believe. And I I lay out the evidence for COVID and manipulation of your mind. It's a video on our website. Okay, and let's go on to our next question. Um, Dr. Jennings, the healing model of salvation written about by the late Pastor Bill Chambers and advocated and expanded on by you generally teaches a character-improving sanctification process over time. How do you reconcile this with the almost instantaneous conversion of the thief on the cross or the so-called deathbed conversions? Uh, does uh, God save in different ways? Thank you. Uh, so that's a great question. And uh, no, God doesn't, doesn't save in different ways. All salvation starts. doesn't matter who they are. It all requires that the heart be changed from distrust in God to trust in God. If, you don't, if you're not moved from distrust in God to trust in God, there's no salvation. Everybody with me on that? And, and, the, and the heart being changed from distrust, which is the natural state at our birth. We're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. That's our natural state. The heart being changed from distrust to trust. What's another word for, for trust? Faith. faith. From lack of faith to having faith. And so Abraham was recognized as being justified or set right when, when what happened? His heart was changed from distrust to trust, or from no faith to having faith. His heart was set right or put right. That's what justification is. So justification is reorienting the heart to a faith relation. See, from the cross, his heart was one to trust. And at that moment, as soon as we're one to trust, we are now in a saving relationship. What comes after that, this would be like you're dying of some sickness, and uh, you go to a doctor, and the doctor you're going to, you believe, is Dr. Death, who kills his patients. You know, the, the few of these doctors we've heard of in history. And, uh, and you've just discovered before you walk in that he, he, he is uh, being accused of, of having killed 3,000 patients uh, in the last two years. Uh, do you go in likely to trust him? but maybe he has a cure that's going to cure you but now you're afraid he's going to poison you even though he might cure you are you going to take the cure if you don't trust so we got to be restored to trust and then we have to partake of what he provides okay and that's the sanctification of the healing so the longer we live and journey on this earth we partake of christ and we grow in maturity and but think about the metaphors of scripture the seed planted and the little sprout and it keeps growing to the point it bears fruit it's perfect in its development, okay? And once we're in a relationship with Christ from the being set right and we start as little babes in Christ and start growing, as long as we keep that relationship with him, we're in the same relationship, but we grow and bring more fruit as we mature. So that's the sanctification process. It's all the same process, just we're identifying people at different places. How are things going at Liberty University? <laughs> they're going well, they're going well. Um, but my wife is still living here. It's been six months and... Uh, yeah, yeah, and so. <laughs> now, she would like to be there too, but, but she's, she's doing her due diligence here, helping work with the various little subcontractors to get our house ready to put on the market. And, and I won't go into all the details, but there's been a few little obstacles with, with, with getting some workers to do some certain things to, to get done. But, but it's going well. It's going well. It'll be, it'll be much better once, once Christy has joined me there, I can tell you. 
will you ever go back to posting your lessons on YouTube? I transcribe your live lessons, studies, and Q&A to send to other people who cannot access your website. When Odyssey is the media source, I have to wait 24 hours until Sunday morning to download and transcribe. When you use YouTube, they were available immediately. That gave me two extra days to get them into the mail for sharing. I am not complaining. God bless you and your ministry staff. <laughs> so, Dean, that's yours, buddy. You want to answer that? Uh, not at this time. That, that was already on Odyssey last week, uh, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon it was there. So uh, I, I will tell you that the reason we came off of YouTube is because we got censored multiple times for speaking truth. And I think everybody now knows... Yes. We were right down the line. Yes. Everything we said from the beginning, we were right on. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and we were being censored. And not just us, lots of people were being censored. Okay? While attending, and I'm not sure I understand what this means, ex, exponential with a capital E. So it's like a, I don't even know what that means. While attending exponential uh, this past week, they talked about the idea that we could pick any day of the week to set aside as the Sabbath. The Bible specifically says the seventh day, which to me seems to be very specific. Is there, there scripture that supports this? Any, so there's not enough in this question for me to know. Set aside any day of the week for what? For, for being God's Sabbath? For, for a day that you're going to benefit by taking a day off work and relaxing? Uh, uh, for, for exercise? I mean, well, it depends on what they're saying they're setting the day aside for. Um, will people get different physiological benefits if they you know, sleep eight hours on Sunday versus sleep eight hours on Saturday? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think there's any data for that. So what is the issue with Sabbath and Sunday? There's the, 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 no biblical scholar of, of any denomination that I know of disputes that the Seventh-day Sabbath of the Bible is Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. Nobody disputes that from any denomination. The question that they have, or the issue they have is, yes, that's the Bible Sabbath, but God has asked us to honor another day, an honor of the resurrection, many will say. And, and, and that day is, is the first day, but they don't dispute the Bible Sabbath is the, is the seventh day. So they, that's a different conversation. So to suggest that there's a different Sabbath day, that's not true. There's only one Sabbath day. And then what's the purpose of the Sabbath day? That's, that's a deeper conversation to have. Um, the Jews that crucified Christ, they wanted him off by sunset so they could keep the Sabbath. So having the right Sabbath day and observing the right Sabbath day guarantees our friendship with Jesus. No. So, so there's many things we have on our, our website about this. I encourage you to do some more research on it. My view is that the Sabbath is, it serves as a sign or an evidence. Uh, its origins and existence are creation. And in origins and existence, God acted in a different way on the seventh day. God acted in a different way on the seventh day than he did the other six. God expended power on the first six, creating and using power. On the seventh, God stopped or ceased using power. And thus the seventh is the, is the culmination of the evidence of how he operates his universe. Days one through six, he's revealing truth. And he's revealing truth in the way he created things to operate on design law and sharing power with a new created species who he has made to have dominion over the earth and share procreative powers with. So he is truth, love, and then he sets free. He restrains power and says, universe, think for yourself. 
And so the Sabbath is the embodiment of the principles or evidences of God, and its existence proves Satan's a liar. Because if Satan was right and God uses power to force his way, God doesn't pull back and rest and leave people free to think. He presses them to do it or else. And so the Sabbath is a sign of the kingdom of God and how it actually operates on design law. The issue with the Sunday isn't there's, any, there's no problem with going to church on Sunday, folks. There's none at all. You can go to church on Wednesday night prayer meeting. You can go to church on Friday. You can go to church any day of the week. Uh, going to church is fine. The problem, and if you actually read Adventist literature, the problem has only ever been coercive Sunday enforcement, okay? Not going to church on Sunday. It's coercing people. And that happened through the Dark Ages. It happened with the Puritans. It happened in Salem. It happened uh, in various other places. And that coercive stuff is human law. And so Sunday became a day of, of, of worship, not through creation, but through legislation. The, the Dark Ages church legislated this day. And so it becomes a sign or symbol of, a, of, a, of an imperial law model and authoritarian force to coerce. And so what day a person goes to church on is really pretty much irrelevant to me. What methods they apply in their life? Do they live truth, love, and freedom in how they practice others? Uh, Then they're Sabbath keepers. Do they coerce others? Then they're beastly or Sunday marked, if you want to use the two signs or symbols. And so during COVID, Liberty University, which is Baptist, and they go to church on Sunday, refused to mandate vaccines for their students and their employees, which made them Sabbath keepers. The Adventist church and its organizations mandated these things, which made them Sunday keepers. Okay? If you understand the symbols. Yes, Russell. The Exponential was an evangelistic series last week in Orlando. Okay. A non-denominational. Okay. Tim. Yes. Um, one time I shared something with somebody, and I asked them, have you considered this? And their response to me was, that's not in our jurisdiction. Authority. Right. So, uh, uh, in line with this, a writer that we respect said once that in certain places in the world, possibly in our country, slavery could again exist because the spirit of slavery exists. Slavery already exists, folks. It's it's slavery. It's just it's just not state sponsored slavery. Okay, but slavery exists. They have, they have, have you heard of sex trafficking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of sweatshops? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's been happening all along. It's never stopped. It's just not state-sponsored anymore. And there's laws against it, and technically people try to stop it. And I think they do if they see it. Most people would. But because of the evil in human hearts, that slavery still exists. Okay, so just to wrap up my circle of thinking on this, um, spiritualism know. is actually a perfection of the idea that there is no ultimate good or no ultimate bad. Spiritualism. It's the idea that that there is nothing sacred, purely sacred, nothing purely vulgar or profane. I don't have to think about that. Seeking pro tips, how you and common reason friends can explain design law principles, methods more boldly, winsomely, and effectively to those who teach, live differently. I'm having difficulty in recalling concepts and boldness to call people up from legal law perspectives. I end up remaining silent, fearful advice. Uh, so it, I guess it's, it's, it depends on the setting. There are many settings I'm in, I just bite my tongue and don't say anything. Because it's not a setting where I, I can see that's completely warped and distorted, but it's not a place where 
uh, where my input would be received favorably. So it depends on the setting. And so if you have a setting, then uh, you want to assess the mindset of the people you're dealing with, where they're coming from, and then begin asking questions that they can connect with. And you keep reframing the questions in ways that draw out the differences. Jesus did this beautifully with all of his parables. He's constantly contrasting all of his parables. All of his parables are about design law. All of them. And they keep exposing the fallacy of rules over and over again. I have a whole blog. If you go to our website and put in the parables, I have a whole blog where I actually show every parable is a contrast between design and imposed law. And so... I don't have a specific other than become very familiar with it. When you understand and really can see the world through design law, it just pops out at you. It's actually quite straightforward. It becomes almost silly, the imperial law conclusions they have. And one more, one more um, says, When Lot was visited by angels, he pleaded to the people of Sodom to use his daughters instead of his visitors. Isn't that wrong? Yes, absolutely, that's wrong. Okay? So let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love, and we thank you for all your provisions. We thank you for the truth that you revealed in Christ, and we pray that you will enlighten us to fulfill your purposes in this world at this time. Continue to, to bless this ministry and open avenues that these resources can get into receptive hands. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.